thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Michelle N. Johnson, who will be talking about endometriosis as an advocate and someone who suffers with the disease. According to the Endometriosis Foundation of America, 200 million people worldwide suffer with endometriosis. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michelle. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Samantha, thank you so much for having me. Um, Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, I am an endometriosis awareness advocate. I am the founder of the Fighting Fiercely Endometriosis Awareness Movement, and I'm also the author of Fighting Fiercely Unveiling the Unknown About Endometriosis. That's awesome. Congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about your endometriosis journey? Sure, absolutely. I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis near the end of 2008, around um, early 2009. And initially, I went to the doctor for what I thought to be the flu. And from there, they thought that I had a ruptured appendix. And so they sent me to the emergency room. I had been having symptoms for about two weeks, which included a lot of severe pain and a really high fever. And they couldn't figure out what it was. And so they sent me to the emergency room. And after like a slew of different testing and kind of ruling things out, Um, I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis and what they thought was a ruptured appendix actually turned out to be a large tumor or what we call an endometrioma. And it had gotten really big to the point where it had started to cause an infection in my kidneys and my bladder. And that's where the high fever came from. My body was trying to fight off that infection. And so just through process of elimination and various testing, I ended up having an emergency emergency laparoscopy procedure, and that was where they definitively diagnosed me with endo. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty rough. I think when I got sent to the emergency room, I think I ended up staying in the hospital for about 10 days before finally being able to be accurately diagnosed. And once I was diagnosed, the doctor said that based on you know, how bad and how widespread throughout my body the disease was, they could only estimate that I had had the disease for at least 10 years. Oh, wow. And that's awful yeah. that you had to wait so long to be properly diagnosed, too. It, it really is. And, you know, knowing what I know now about the disease and then kind of thinking back to, you know, years ago as a teenager, all of the different symptoms that I had, I would guess, you know, just based on my own personal history, I can remember I had started having symptoms probably around the age of 16, looking back at my own history, but I wasn't um, diagnosed until I was 33. Wow. That's a really Mm -hmm. long time to go through all of that and not know what's going on. Exactly. What made you decide to become an endometriosis advocate? Well, initially, it started just from me trying to kind of educate my friends and family as to what was going on with the disease. You know, after I was diagnosed, I really still wasn't clear about what the disease was or how it was going to affect me after my surgery. And just through my own self-education and learning more about it so that I could understand myself, 
you know, different friends and different family would come to me and ask me, you know, what is wrong? What was happening? And I found myself repeating the same story over and over again to them. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of grew out of this little grassroots thing just for me trying to educate the people closest to me. And then as I started explaining it to more and more people, then I started getting responses like, oh, I have those symptoms too, or I experienced that as well. And it just kind of grew from there. And before I knew it, um, Fighting Fiercely was born and it, it went from me talking to a couple of friends in my living room to me hosting, you know, panel discussions. And that grew into an expo where I, you know, started tapping medical professionals and other experts in my city. And it, it grew into like this big educational platform and forum and kind of took on a life of its own, which was really nervous, but, you know, nerve wracking, but really exciting yeah. at the same time, because I felt like the more I educated other people, the more I educated myself at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what endometriosis is? Absolutely. And it's... uh. I would love to because so many people think that it's all these different things and they're kind of confused as to what it is. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, um, endometriosis affects about 200 women, 200 million women worldwide. And it's a painful chronic disease that affects about 6 million women and girls here in the United States. And it happens when tissue that is similar to the tissue that lines the uterus, which is called the endometrium, um, tissue that is similar to the endometriosum, which is found in the uterus, is found outside of the uterus. And those tissues are usually found in the abdomen or the ovaries, in our fallopian tubes, and the ligaments that support the uterus. Um, it can also be found in the vaginal and rectum area and the lining of the pelvic ca cavity. But What's the most important thing to know about what endometriosis is, is that it is found outside of the uterus. And there have been studies to show that endometriosis has actually been found in just about every major area or organ in the body. And most people think, oh, it's just a reproductive disease or disorder. And it's really not. It, it can affect the entire body. Yeah, definitely. Where did you have endometriosis found? I had endometriosis in my pelvic and abdominal cavity. Um, unfortunately, the disease ate through the entire left side of my reproductive system. And as a result, I did lose my left ovary and fallopian tube. Um, so it was just riddled throughout my entire pelvic cavity um, and a little bit in my uh, cul-de-sac. I think that's the area that they refer to it, the peritoneal area as well. Um, so it was just spread all throughout that entire region. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, what treatments have you tried and did any of them help? And what side effects did you experience from those treatments? I have tried a, a ton of treatments, as do most of us, you know, with endometriosis. Um, I think all of us or, or the majority of us have kind of tried everything from A to Z, as they say, you know, um, some of the treatments that I have tried, I've tried several different um, pain management drugs. I've taken um, high dose ibuprofen. I've taken Dilaudid, 
fentanyl, Elevil, Neurontin. Um, I've taken some opioids, including Vicodin, Norco, um, and Oxycodone. I've tried different hormonal therapies, including um, continuous birth control and Lupron. I've made changes um, to my diet and nutrition. I've tried what most people know as the endo diet or the anti-inflammatory diet. Um, I've also tried um, different herbal and homeopathic remedies. I've done with um, pelvic floor therapy um, and symptom management like um, therapeutic massage, aromatherapy. And I've also had two excision surgeries as well as hysterectomy. Um, and although we know a hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis, about two years after my diagnosis, I was also found to have adenomyosis. And as you know, for a lot of women, those two go hand in hand. So my hysterectomy was for the adenomyosis, but it did help alleviate a lot of the painful symptoms that I had from the endo as well. And the the options that I found to be most beneficial was the excision surgery. And as you know, um, the industry standards state that, you know, excision surgery, when done by a properly trained specialist, is considered, you know, the gold standard treatment um, for endometriosis. And I have to say that I was very fortunate in that when I had my first excision surgery, which was done in 2008, um, I had sustained relief from the most painful of my symptoms for almost 10 years. And when I had my second excision surgery, which was just a couple years back in 2018, um, the doctor said that they, they found no reoccurrence of like fresh endometriosis lesions or tissues. They had only seen some mild scar scarring or scar tissue from my previous surgery. So I, I was really fortunate in that I know a lot of women have to have multiple surgeries over and over again. Um, but having that, that information made me more confident in that excision, for me at least, was the most effective treatment. And I did receive, you know, small measures of relief, like through the painkillers and um, things like that. And I also got great relief from diet and nutrition changes, like eliminating a lot of the anti the high inflammatory food, like the sugar and dairy and meats and things like that. And I have to say my worst experiences um, where I experienced the, the greatest side effects was when I took Lupron and Neurontin. And as you know, Lupron is a very hot button topic, you know, yes, it is. Uh, within the endo community. And, you know, some women get great relief from it, even if it's, you know, temporary. But unfortunately, I was one of the women who experienced some of the most devastating side effects. The worst of all being um, I became extremely suicidal and suffered horrific depression I lost my hair. My hair fell out. I gained about 30 pounds in just like a couple of months. I had severe adult onset of acne. I had horrible night sweats and hot flashes. I had vertigo and like um, neurological imbalances and very, very um, extreme mood swings. And even today, some 
what is this, maybe almost 12 years later, I still struggle with severe TMJ and my teeth weakened a little bit. And so now I have to wear a protective mouth guard at night to keep from um, to keep my teeth protected. And I took that drug over 10 years ago and I'm still dealing with the side effect from that. Wow, that's awful. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then did you want to talk about your experiences with pelvic floor therapy? Yes, I, I loved pelvic floor therapy. And when I when I first heard about it, um, I really wasn't sure, you know, what that was. And I think a lot of women are, are confused as to what it was. And then when I heard that there was an internal component to it that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah. I was like, what exactly does this mean? You know, internal component. But actually, I would have to say um, following the excision, um, I would say I would put pelvic floor therapy is right up there as the second best thing. And I actually had pelvic floor therapy done after both of my surgeries. And, you know, every pelvic floor therapist operates differently from what I understand. And not every therapist does the internal work, but I'm so grateful that mine did. Um, it was a little uncomfortable at first, those first couple of sessions. Yeah. But, you know, after that, like once you understand kind of how the pelvic floor is set up and that there must, the muscles that line the pelvic floor, it kind of makes sense. And, Coming from a background as a licensed massage therapist and understanding that the muscles get spasms and cramps, just like we get cramps in our like in our legs and stuff, we can get cramps in our pelvic floor. So to have someone be able to access those muscles and help the pelvic floor release and alleviate a lot of those spasms, I found it to be so very helpful and I highly recommend it to anyone as a you know, companion piece to of therapy for whatever treatments that they're doing. And um, it can also be very beneficial. I know a lot of women suffer from sciatica as part of endometriosis and like nerve and joint pain. I found the pelvic floor therapy to be incredibly helpful for that more so than more so than a lot of those high dose pain medications that I was taking. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you found it helpful. Yeah, I did. It, it was, you know, once I read up on it and, you know, the therapist explained to me exactly what she was doing and I got over the nervousness of those first couple of sessions, it, it was great. And I actually still practice some of the exercises, you know, at home even now. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's good. Um, what other information would you like to discuss about endometriosis? Let's see. There's so much. Where should we begin? <laughs> um, well, you asked me before, you know, how did I get started as an advocate, you know, and I think that aside from the diagnosis itself and all of the physical things that I've gone through, I think becoming an advocate and raising awareness about endometriosis has actually been like, a blessing in disguise, if if that makes sense. It's yeah. taught me that, you know, even though my experience was very painful and it's brought a lot of change and, 
you know, upset to my life. It's also brought me a purpose and a passion for helping others to feel not so alone in their journey, the way that I felt alone in mine. Like I had never heard of the disease. I didn't know anything about the disease. And when I was in that dark place of depression, like I really felt alone. And as much as my parents and my friends and family tried to help and they did their best, there really was no one that understood if that makes sense. And I think for, you know, and so for anyone going through this journey, I think um, having a support system is so vital. And it wasn't until I started searching online groups and um, that was actually how you and I met, (laughs) you know, that, uh, It it wasn't until I got that support where you found other women who knew exactly what you were going through and who could relate to what you were experiencing. And I think that a lot of times we talk so much about the physical aspect of endometriosis, but I don't think we talk enough about the emotional and the mental toll that this disease takes on us. And it's so important to have that support system through a support group or a therapist or a counselor that is just as important in working through this disease as finding the right doctors and finding the right medicines. I think both of those together are so important in learning how to like have a great quality of life while living with this disease. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Absolutely. So you mentioned that you have adenomyosis. Did you want to talk a little bit about that and what that disease is? Yes. So, yes, I was diagnosed with adenomyosis about maybe two years or so after getting diagnosed with endo. And adenomyosis is when in when the endo... Okay, let me... <laughs> I want to make sure people understand. So if you think about it this way, so endometriosis happens outside of the uterus, right? Right. With adenomyosis, think about when the disease actually invades inside the muscle of the uterus, if that makes sense. So endometriosis occurs outside of the uterus. Adenomyosis occurs inside the uterus itself. And it's kind of like when the disease goes inside and throughout the walls and the body of the uterus itself. And as I mentioned, I was diagnosed with that about two years after the endometriosis and it was kind of hard to get a diagnosis because a lot of the symptoms although they're two different diseases a lot of the symptoms were the same and what distinguished it for me was that the disease was so severe and so present throughout my uterus that it actually could be seen through um an MRI it was so much junk there I guess you could say um And with me, the disease just kept going and going and going until it literally ate a hole in the back of my uterus. And the pain I felt from that, and we, we found out that it was the adenomyosis that was responsible for the heavy bleeding and the clotting and the contraction like cramps that I would feel and the spasms and the sciatica, all of that was attributed to the adenomyosis. And as you know, although there's no cure for endometriosis, 
one of the definitive cures for adenomyosis is hysterectomy. And at the time, I wasn't really ready to accept that. I still wanted to try to have children. I still wanted to preserve my fertility at all costs. And so I tried everything that I could for about five years before finally coming to the realization that I would need to get a hysterectomy because, like I said, there was literally this giant hole in my uterus that would only continue to get bigger. And I was just bleeding internally because of the hole that was there. And I had reached a point where none of the medications were helping. I was at the maximum highest dosage of every pain management drug that they could give me. And it was not touching the pain. And so because I was on all of this medication, my liver function began to become compromised. And so I had to make a choice. Do I, you know, um, try to save my uterus and continue to take this medicine and damage my liver? Or do I stop taking the medication and then not be able to function or have any quality of life because of the amount of pain that I was in every day? And so it was really like choosing the lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I finally came to the decision that I literally could not live without a damaged liver and that I could live without my uterus. And so I made the difficult decision to move forward with hysterectomy. And that was May of 2018. I'm so sorry that you had to make that decision. I know that's a really hard one to have to make. It was hard. It it really was. And, and like I said, you know, the, the name of my movement is Fighting Fiercely. And I really did. I fought tooth and nail. And I'm so grateful for a doctor who partnered with me and was willing to try everything else with me. You know, he didn't force it on me. He yeah. wanted to wait until I was ready. And it took me about five years to be ready. And as I mentioned before, the hardest part was preparing myself emotionally and mentally for having a, a operation where I would be giving up my fertility, which was not something that I ever wanted to do. You know, I always loved children. I always thought that I would have a large family. And so because it was kind of a decision that was made for me, you know, I had to prepare mentally and emotionally for it more than anything. But I have to say almost being almost two years post-op, you know, and having it done, I must say physically, it is the best decision that I could have made. And I have been, I would say about 90 to 95% pain-free ever since then. And with my endo being, I like to use the word in remission, you know, yeah. it's not active, you know, I'm not having any active flares. With, yeah. with that being in remission and having had the hysterectomy, I've been relatively pain-free, like I said, about 90 to 95% of the time. And so I, I would do it all over again, as difficult a choice as it was. It was definitely the best one for me. Yeah, I'm glad that it's helped with your pain. It really has. Um, how do you cope with endometriosis and adenomyosis and having a hysterectomy? Well, I love to write. And so journaling is the primary way that I cope with things. And it's also what led me to writing my book, Fighting Fiercely, um, Unveiling the Unknown About Endometriosis. And if you've read the book, 
you will see that. <laughs> yeah. And if you read the book, you'll see that throughout the book, there are actually captions and excerpts from my actual journal, journal entries describing what I was going through at that time. And so writing for me is very cathartic and it helped me to cope better. Um, and I also attended therapy and counseling sessions. That was huge for me, especially with the, um, having gone through the hysterectomy. Um, yeah, I fell into a deep depression and I definitely needed some outside help with that. And my therapist has been really, really great. And so if somebody is contemplating or not sure, you know, if therapy or counseling would be helpful for them, I definitely would highly recommend that. Um, some days I cry, you know, um, some days I just sleep it off, you know, um, and sometimes I just kind of unplug, meaning, you know, I just kind of disconnect from everything and everyone, especially social media, you know, um, yeah. just for just for a little bit. And, and unplugging is like different from isolating. Right. When you're depressed, you you isolate. You don't want to be around anybody. and You kind of retreat into yourself. When I unplug, it's it's different because I'm not pushing people away, but I'm just taking time to, like, clear my head and get quiet and meditate or pray for a little bit. You know, um, just to kind of ground myself and and center myself. And sometimes I just escape by, you know, watching mindless reality TV or binge watching (laughs) movies on Netflix or something. (laughs) Yeah, it's really important that we take care of ourselves, especially trying to help other people, too. You have to. You have to. Mm -hmm. Self-care is so very important. It really is. What is something you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed? Wow. Um, the biggest thing that I wish I had known when, when I was diagnosed was that there was no cure. Yeah. I was never told, you know, that there was no cure. When I was initially diagnosed, my doctors left me with the impression that once I had surgery, they would go in and take, you know, everything out that didn't belong and I'd never have to worry about it again. And that could be further from the truth because here we are um, over a decade later and I'm still fighting it, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how does it affect your daily life? Well, since the surgery, it doesn't affect me in terms of like the pain and comfort, pain and discomfort, I should say, as much as it it used to. But I do still need to be mindful of what I eat um, because eating the wrong things can still trigger um, flare ups for me. Um, As I mentioned a little ways back, I did lose my leftover in fallopian tube but I do still have my right ovary and fallopian tube. So there is still like natural hormonal function there. So I do still have to watch what I eat so that I don't trigger a flare up. Um, I do still need to take care not to overexert myself physically because I do still get, you know, fatigued from time to time if I do too much. And I have to make sure to keep my stress levels as low as possible because as you know, stress can trigger flare ups as well. Definitely. Yeah. And I have to remember too that 
um, and this is something you've heard me say or I share with other people all the time, is that the absence of symptoms does not mean absence of pathology, which means that just because it's not active and I'm not feeling it or having any flare-ups now doesn't mean that the disease isn't there. And so I have to be mindful that I can't just go out and start eating all those trigger foods and piling all of those harmful things into my body. You know what I mean? I still have to manage it as if it were still active so that I can keep those symptoms as minimal as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. Mm -hmm. Is there any other information you would like listeners to know about endometriosis or adenomyosis? Um, Well, the main thing that I would like listeners to know is that the illness doesn't define who I am. If, If you've been diagnosed with it, it doesn't have to define who you are. It's definitely repositioned and rearranged so many different areas of my life. And it's learned, it, it's taught me to look at myself and learn how to define a new normal. And I've had to learn how to love myself in, in a different way. And although the disease has become an additional part of my life, it doesn't necessarily control my life, if that makes sense. It does. And that, I think that's really important to remember um, because we can get bogged down with our symptoms and how we're feeling emotionally. And so we need to remember that our illness does not define us and that we're more than our illness. Absolutely. Like I said, it's a, it's a piece of our lives, right? It's a new right. part of our lives, yeah. but it, it doesn't consume our lives or it doesn't define our lives. Yeah, I'm definitely glad you mentioned that. Thanks. Um, what piece of advice do you want to give listeners? Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I could give is something that I, I mentioned a little while ago, and that is just to please do not discount or ignore the toll that the disease can take on your mental health. I cannot stress that enough. I've been in counseling several times throughout my endo journey and I would consider uh, urge anybody out there you know having trouble navigating emotionally to definitely consider making therapy or counseling an integral part of your treatment plan because um, depression and suicide rates amongst those in the endo community sadly are steadily increasing and yet those types of things are largely left out of the discussion when we talk about creating treatment plans and symptom management. You know, we talk about things like pelvic floor therapy and hormonal treatments, but, you know, counseling and therapy and, and depression and, you know, suicidal thoughts, those things are left out of the conversation. And so that piece of advice, if there's anybody out there who are struggling with those symptoms or are feeling very alone, definitely reach out. Um, I know that there are uh, a lot of therapists for women who may be not working like myself, uh, who are laid off or not or don't have the financial means, you know, to pay for therapy or may not have insurance coverage. A lot of therapists work on like a sliding scale, you know, or pay fee, you know, or pay what you can type of thing. And that's just to say that there are options. So I don't want people to feel like, well, I can't pay for it. I don't have insurance. So I don't want to look into it. 
you know, um, just give it a try because there are options out there for people across all different types of um, financial stations, if that makes sense. No matter what your financial situation is, you can find, you know, a therapist or counseling center that would be willing to work with you. Yeah, that's really great advice. Yeah. How can someone show support for endometriosis or adenomyosis? Well, I would say if someone in your life has endometriosis or adenomyosis, one of the best ways to show support is just to simply listen. Don't listen to respond or don't listen to offer advice. Just listen and let them be heard. Um, I feel that a lot of times we're dismissed in so many different ways by so many different people, even our own doctors, that the biggest show of support that we can receive is to have someone simply say, I hear you and I believe you. Yeah, that's definitely important. Absolutely. How can listeners connect with you? Well, if you're on social media, you can connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash fighting fiercely. I am also on Instagram and Twitter at the handle at fight fierce endo. If you're interested in learning more about the fighting fiercely uh, endo awareness movement that I have, if you want to see clips and videos from previous expos, you can go to the website, www.fightingfiercely.com. You can also order um, signed copies of the book. If you want to order a book and have it signed by me, you can order those through the website as well. Otherwise you can also order Um, paperbacks and the Kindle versions are available on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And I will link all of that in the show notes for listeners as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me here. I really love whenever we get together and and do things like this, whether it's our videos or our blog. So I really, really appreciate you inviting me to come on the show. And as always, I had a wonderful time and I really appreciate, you know, hanging out and, you know, chatting with you today. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast and telling your story with endometriosis to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Michelle, and I always love getting together with you. I know. It's always a great time. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening.